Hey, Soakers. Hey. Before today's episode, we have some bittersweet news. Yes. So we have decided that we are going to end Bath and Body Parts. Yes. And I know that people out there are going to be a little bit disappointed, and we are also disappointed. We have loved doing this. Yes. This has been an awesome experience. I think when we started this, we had no idea what to expect or what this is going to be. And we've loved it. We've loved it. Yep. But we are also going to take a page from our own books and do a little bit of self-care. Yes. And for us, self-care is going to look like reclaiming the time that we devote to this podcast. I think if you've listened to our podcast, then I think you understand that both of us love what we do. And we also are people who commit 100% to everything that we do. And so for me, that means, you know, I'm committing to my job, which is very time intensive and mentally intensive. And for you, it's your job, your kids, like our families are very important to both of us. And like, we also commit 100% to the podcast. And eventually you cannot commit 100% of yourself in every aspect of your life because you will have nothing left to give. And so, and for us, diminishing the amount of effort that we put into the podcast is not an option. It's not an option. So the the amount of research and the storytelling quality, we can't scale that back. So it really is the option that makes the most sense for us. And while we are very sad to be ending it, we both agree that we would rather end it. Yes. Before it gets to the point to where we're regretting it or that we don't enjoy it. And I think that you can tell if you listen to a podcast, you can kind of tell when the hosts check out. Like, And we don't want this to go past its expiration date. We never, ever want this to be a burden or to be something that you don't enjoy, something that we don't enjoy. Yep. And we're never going to half-ass it. So, like, we might as well just no-ass it. (laughs) So, we have today's episode. We might have a couple of other things trickling out for you. If you're a patron, you'll still get all of your normal stuff. Yep. Uh, For November, you won't be charged for December. And we have other projects in the works. We're going to take some time to spend with our families, to do our own thing, to take a break and to recoup. And then we have some other non-true crime projects in the pipeline. So we hope that you will find us on Facebook and stay connected to us. I think that what, what we've learned about each other and our dynamic through this has been like the biggest, most beautiful takeaway of all of this. And we will never not work on something together, right? Whatever that looks like could be different, but we do have some ideas that I'm really excited about. Um, But it's not like we're not friends anymore. I don't want anyone to be like, oh my gosh, is there drama? There's there's no no drama. drama, There's no drama. No, literally like I, my health has been kind of bad. And so I'm just kind of like trying to take care of myself and you know we're trying to take care of our mental physical spiritual emotional every bit of our health that we can and so there's no nothing bad we hope that you will stay connected with us that you will we really appreciate you guys being listeners we've loved every minute of it we love you guys it's been a great experience and i will never regret any of it i love it not at all very proud All right. We all enjoy our last official episode. We do have, we've got some other stuff that will hopefully trickle in for you as we kind of um, edit a few other things that we have and whatnot. But But this is it. Yeah. Let's go ahead and dive into today's episode. Welcome to Bath and Body Parts. I'm Melanie. And I'm Cassie. We're here to help you relax and unwind. It's time for candles, bubbles, wine, and of course, a tale of true crime. So go on, soakers, settle into the tub. Let your muscles relax and your heart race as we dive into Bath and Body Parts.
Stokers. Today's episode is a little bit unusual in a few ways. First of all, this is technically unsolved and that there isn't a real resolution at the end of this case. So please be aware of that. I know that everybody has their preferences on how they consume true crime. So I just want you to know that. Our case today is about someone who we are going to call Kate Brennan. It's the pseudonym that she uses in her book, In His Sights, A True Story of Love and Obsession. She uses a fake name because that is her account of being stalked for years by her ex, a man who is still free. Kate changed a few details of her story, names, places. I'll try to note that along the way. And because this case isn't solved and it's anonymous, we really only have one source, which is Kate's book. And that's unusual for us. But I chose to cover this case anyway because I think it's really important. It's real. It's raw. And I think that it really reflects what it's like to be in an emotionally abusive relationship. And the book is wonderful. You know, I really highly recommend reading it. It's so good. And it really provides a lot of just direct insight into what it's actually like to be in a toxic relationship and to not know when to get out or how to get out. I do believe if you're listening in the UK that it might have a different name there. The book I think is called Stalked there and it is by Kate Brennan is is her pseudonym there as well. And, you know, in the meantime, I really hope that hearing this story sheds some light on a crime, really two crimes, which are super common, but which are unreported, unconvicted, and misunderstood. And that's stalking and emotional abuse. In 1991, Kate Brennan, a freelance writer and journalist, was 41 years old. She was single, and she had always had bad luck in relationships, which was likely fueled by growing up in a home with an alcoholic father, something that really impacted her a lot. But she was successful, intellectual, and career-driven. Kate attended a 40th anniversary party for her friends, Jen and Doug, who lived in the same apartment complex. While she was there, they were actually trying to get her set up with Jen's brother, Roger, But Kate ended up meeting Roger's son, Paul, which is a fake name, and they hit it off. Paul was a freelance photographer and had traveled all over taking pictures. So Kate and Paul bonded over their travel stories. And Paul came over that week and they spent some time together. But within just a few days, Jen called Kate and told her that Roger had been found strangled. Now, in the book... um... Kate describes a a lot of details about this case and the strangulation, but for obvious reasons, she changed the details of that account. So we're not going to go into too many details on the murder. We say that Roger had been found strangled. Really, we just know that he was found murdered. Yeah. So Kate comforted Paul at the funeral, and shortly after that, they started dating. And almost immediately, it became apparent that Paul liked to throw money around. Kate knew from Jen that he was extremely well off, but right away, he seemed really showy with his money. And I feel like that there is a difference, right, between being well off and being like, look at all my money, (laughs) you know? And and, and it's hard to draw the line, I think, when you're raised with money you come from like old money money comes from your parents and you're sort of like a trust fund baby there is an element of like well I have this I might as well share this right and then there's also a difference between that like using that to your advantage and not that there's anything inherently wrong with sure using your money but you know I think we all know that there's kind of a difference between being a little showy with it you know I think so And, you know, she actually told him that she was helping organize a women's center benefit. And he said that he wanted to buy two tickets, but he actually wrote a check for double the cost of those two tickets. He was just like, oh, yeah, just consider it a gift to charity. And that's just kind of how he was. So, you know, I think it's in ways that might seem generous or... Right, right. Like helpful. Like, oh, yeah. (laughs) what What a benefactor, you know? Exactly. 
But they did hit it off. And despite Kate being hesitant to start a relationship, you know, they really did. And it was complicated by the fact that Paul's dad had just died because, you know, he was in a place where he was grieving and he was dealing with the details surrounding the murder. Like, not only did his dad die, his dad was murdered. Mm -hmm. So he was flying back and forth to talk to police and ask questions about the investigation. Police pretty quickly found and arrested a suspect, a young man who apparently had had a relationship with Roger, who often gave him and various other young men money. But when Roger had refused to give him more money, he had gotten angry and had murdered him. Now, throughout the course of this, as Paul and Kate are building their relationship, he would often call her six or seven times a day. He would tell her that he wished that she had a cell phone so that he could always know where she was and would always ask a lot of questions about what she was doing and her plans. And I really want to take a minute here to stop and step outside and and say, you know, we have the hindsight yeah, And we're outside of the situation. And I think it's easy for us to spot the red flags. And this is where sometimes people will become really victim-blaming. Sure. But, you know, as anyone who has actually been in a toxic relationship knows, these things are so easy to miss and dismiss early on. Yeah, You're going to kind of miss some of them. You're going to see some of them and have these little, like, gut check moments, but you're going to talk yourself out of them. It's so common. And that's really what happened with Kate. And Paul did have a charming and kind side and and they went out and saw plays and, you know, had intellectual conversations and, and they really did build up this relationship. And so obviously we don't have time here to go into all of the details of their relationship. And again, really recommend reading the book, but he was flattering and he, he just won her over little by little. And I think it was just easier for her to overlook some of these red flags that we're going to sit back and say, oof, she should have right, left. Right. Like, it's just not that easy. It just is not. It's not black and white. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, Paul met Kate's sister and niece and nephew, and he was sweet and fun and great with the kids. And Kate's sister loved him. And, you know, she could really see this good side of him. And about four months into their relationship, he told her that he loved her. And Kate wasn't really ready for that at that point, and she did not reciprocate. And that conversation kind of irritated him. But she did feel strongly about him. She just wasn't really ready to move quite that fast. There were other things that, again, looking back hindsight, we can say we're not healthy. And looking back in hindsight, Kate can say we're not healthy. He really enjoyed athletic activities, and he wanted Kate to be involved in those, and she really had no interest. And one of the things that he really wanted her to do was to try rollerblading, and she didn't want to, but he just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, and finally she agreed to let him teach her, and she really didn't like it. And he just kind of kept trying to push her to try it again and again, and and she told him, you know, if you want someone athletic, then... I'm not the right one. Yeah. And I think this is one of those like early signs that he's sort of trying to change her or dictate her, not respecting her interests and her her personality. If somebody wanted an athletic partner and they started dating me, they are shit out of luck because that is not happening at all. (laughs) And I think it's like, it's normal to want your significant other to kind of sharing your interests. But if they say no, then you respect respect that. that. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, as they continued dating... Over Christmas, Paul went to Hawaii alone. Kate was planning to be with her family. This was not concerning to her. But while he was there, she tried to get a hold of him. And she was told that he had put out a do not disturb message. And Mm. this was for several days. And so when she finally did get a hold of him, she asked if he was with someone else. And at first he denied it. But when he got back, he confessed that he had been with another woman and that he had been dating her for about a month just to, quote, see if Kate was the right person for him. (laughs) Big Big yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I feel like these other these other things that we've talked about, like those are small, right? Like those are you you could kind of write those off. But 
dating someone at the same time that they're dating you just to figure out if they really think you're the one. Like, uh, that that sounds like the most BS excuse to just have multiple partners. Definitely. (laughs) Not cool at all. She tried to break things off with him, but, you know, he came on really strong with his apologies and was really begging to be taken back. And eventually she agreed as long as they went to counseling. And the therapist that they saw believed that this was Paul's way of dealing with his grief and the loss of his father. And that made sense to Kate, but she also didn't want to be a doormat and understood that he was going through a lot, but also, like, you don't have to just have another girlfriend. Right. And it's not like the therapist was saying, like, this is fine. It's fine. You know, the therapist was just saying, like... Paul's going through trauma. Yeah. Like, this is not okay, but yes. here's why you're doing this. Like, this is what I think. Yeah. So it's not like yeah. Kate or the therapist is dismissive of this behavior at all. During his father's murderer's trial, Paul was stoic. Yeah, and I think his whole family was really a little bit creeped out by how unemotional he was. We all grieve in different ways, of course. Sure. But it was... But you want to see some some emotion, right? Maybe something. And and Paul and Roger had a complicated relationship, which he kind of disclosed with Kate, that he wasn't very loving or affectionate towards him. Sure. And, and so I'm sure that there were a lot of emotions, but I think it yeah. did come across as very creepy to even yeah. Paul's family. Yeah. So after that, he started playing mind games with her, saying that he was no longer sexually attracted to her, but that he loved her more than he had ever loved anyone. So lots of this hot and cold, you know, and this really threw her because she didn't know what to do. She wanted to break things off, but then he even asked her to move in with him. And, of course, she wasn't sure about that. And she believed that after the murderer's sentencing, things would get better. So she did agree to move in with him. Yeah, I think she just felt like a lot of this odd, erratic behavior was stemming from this stress and this grief and that this would be kind of like a closed door on that chapter and and moving on into the next chapter of their lives. Sure, sure. Now, one evening, Paul randomly asked Kate if they could call her sister to say hi to the kids. And it was like dinner time, which is uh, like as a mom, not a good time. Um, But he just kind of kept saying like, no, no, like I really, really want to. I really, really want to. And so they did call. And right away, Kate's sister was panicking on the phone. Apparently, she had been at a convenience store and... She'd gone to the convenience store to get milk, and the kids had fallen asleep in the car. And so, think of the time here, people. Sure, sure. parked in front of the convenience store, like glass doors, and she left the kids in the car, you know, locked the doors, went in to get the milk. Just again, that is not something that anybody would do now, but this was the 90s. Sure. And she's right there. She can see them. But while she's paying, the cashier is like, hey, is that your car? Look. And there there was a man trying to get into the car, which is horrifying. So she rushed out. He ran off, got in a car, and drove away. And she calls the police and gives them a license plate number. And they put out an APB. And, and he got into, he got into like his own, his car, own car, right? Like his not her car. car. Okay. Yeah. So he got into his own car and, and, you know, the kids are fine and everything, but she does call the police and Kate is telling Paul all of this. And he says, you know, the police are slower, but I have a friend who's one of the best hackers in the country and, you know, he can get the information faster. So she gives him the license plate number and he contacts his friend who comes back to him with a name And then Paul says to Kate and her sister, you're not going to believe this, but it's someone I know. (laughs) And apparently this was somebody who had worked for one of his companies, but he had been fired and he was angry with Paul. And Paul is like, oh, I knew he was going to try something like this to get money out of me. What? Which is weird, right? Yeah. So put a pin in that one. It's going to come back. The police tracked him down and he said he had just been trying to check on the kids and, and you know, nobody really sure. believed that. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the police let him go and didn't pursue any charges. 
And Paul continued to behave strangely and act hot and cold with Kate. And eventually, Paul told her that he was in recovery for sex addiction and that he had been involved in criminal activity in the past. That is a big conversation to have. (laughs) And he also stated that his previous marriage had broken up because he had had sex with a prostitute in Thailand. Wow. And now Kate was concerned at this point because she definitely had her doubts about this relationship. But we also have to remember that her mom had stayed with her alcoholic father and she was in many ways predisposed to play out this pattern, trying to help, trying to change, and trying to heal a wounded partner. And I feel like we we do see this. Definitely. And I don't, I don't think that it's talked about very much. And I think that it goes back to, you know, victim blaming and things like that. But you can repeat a lot of the same patterns that you see growing up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that it's it's just so easy to fall into that sort of like, they need my help. Like, I'm going to yes. change them kind of a thing. Yep. You know, it's so, 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 so common, especially in these sort of emotionally abusive relationships where it's not really, there's no one event to point to and be like, oh, yeah. I need to get out. Sure. So there were some things that really unsettled her, though. And one of them was this giant painting of Roger that was in their house. And when she said she thought it was weird, Paul pointed out that his father had kept a nude bronze statue of him in his house. There's just, like, so much there. Like, (laughs) oh, my goodness. Okay. So she tried to dive into Paul's past with his dad, wondering if he had ever been sexually abused, you know, given some of the relationship and struggles with his father and his sexual issues. She was kind of trying to like figure out, is that the cause of this? And he kind of shut her down and got angry. Paul continued to try to shower Kate with love and affection, even though they were no longer having sex at this point. And he rejected any attempts that she made to be intimate. He tried to buy her expensive gifts, offering her a car, and even offering to pay for her to go back to school. And he pushed her to quit her job so that they could spend more time together, and he really wanted to buy her a cell phone. But Kate didn't want any of this. Yeah, and I think he was really used to people responding to those monetary gifts and and financial things, and that was a a source of power for him that Kate just didn't really, that's not, she didn't want to accept these really expensive gifts. That was very uncomfortable for her. She doesn't want to quit her job. Oh, definitely not. Yeah. And, you know, they did travel together and Kate loved to travel and he also loved to travel. So that kind of made sense that this is going to be like a bonding thing for them. But on a trip to Switzerland, when they stayed with one of her friends, he was openly rude and hostile, both to her friend and even to waiters. Uh, like, uh, he would complain uh, that the waiters didn't speak English. Um, You're yeah. in Switzerland? Like, <laughs> this was very embarrassing for Kate, and they fought uh, about this a lot. Uh, and, you know, every time they would fight, Paul would assure her that he loved her more than he had ever loved anyone. And really this kind of just almost like love as a weapon kind of a situation. And he would also, in these same conversations, tell her that he just wasn't sexually attracted to her anymore. Oh my God. I'm getting like a serious love is blind vibes from this. Like where they're like... We both just watched (laughs) love is blind. (laughs) Season three. But like this whole, I love you more than I've loved anyone, but I just don't find you attractive. (laughs) Like God. It's so so cringe. cringe. (laughs) And you know, again, it's, On the outside, looking in, I think we can see these red flags. Kate saw them, okay? She she felt worse and worse about the relationship. But, you know, when you're in these relationships, it's really hard to break away. It's hard to push yourself to actually make that decision. Right. And she really was upset about this whole Switzerland thing and even started avoiding being alone with him on the trip. 
And while they're traveling, they end up in London, but Paul has to fly back early. Kate's going to stay and do some research there. And before he left, he really wanted to know, you know, are you going to stay in this hotel? Where are you going to stay? Tell me which hotel you're going to be at. And she was like, I don't know. And she just felt something kind of tell her, "Mm, I am not going to stay here where he wants me to stay. Yeah. And after he left, she's on her way to another hotel. And Kate realized that she was being followed by a stranger. And this man walked up to her and punched her in the chest and then just ran off. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And so that's, mm. yeah, that was really scary. Obviously, she calls Paul super upset. And he was like, you know, just come home. Just come home. And she really wanted to stay and finish her research. And instead of being comforting, he got angry at her about this. And when she did return, things started to get even worse. Paul started criticizing the way she looked, her makeup, her clothes. He would Mm. say she's trying too hard or insult her lipstick. And she also started to gather that there were many women that Paul sent money to or gave a lot of gifts to. And they started fighting even more and more often. One day after a fight, Paul started beating his head against the wall, and he told her that it was to stop himself from doing something he regretted. If someone said that to me, I would be chilled to my core. Like, that is is so threatening. Yeah, I'm not sure what the implication there is, but I think she kind of took it as like a more of a... He might hurt himself, kind of a situation. Sure, but, but either way, it, like anyway, that's so there's threatening. no good way to take that. Oh at my all. god! One night out of the blue, Paul asked her, "Quote: Does it bother you that I have a gun in the house?" And this was the first time that she had heard that there was a gun in the house, and she told him, you know, that she didn't. Love the fact that there was a gun in the house, but he refused to get rid of it. And so she insisted that he take her to the shooting range. And night after night, he started repeating to her, does it bother you that I have a gun in the house? Like, oh, again, just like so threatening. That like, is those are the like creepiest. It's so creepy. Like, oh. And Kate finally had a moment where she realized that she had completely lost herself. She knew that she needed to leave, and she actually started looking for apartments. And one day when she got home, there was a friend there, the one who was, you know, one of the best hackers in the country. And this friend was borrowing Paul's gun. And after that, Paul asked her again, does it bother you that I have a gun in the house? And when Kate pointed out that he told her he had lent the gun to his friend, he said, I just want to remind you that I have a gun. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. No. Like, if she wasn't already looking at apartments, that's where you would start, right? Like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Definitely. And soon after that, Kate gave a speech at... Like a a work event? Yeah, just like an event. She's kind of a a freelance writer, journalist, speaker. She does lots of of those sorts of things. So she was given a speech and, you know, lots of people gave her compliments and, you know, everyone's saying how good she did. And Paul told her, quote, I've seen you do better. Oh. And this part. One day, while they were at the mall, Paul started to make some very concerning comments about young girls, saying, quote, Don't you love to see girls just as they're beginning to get breasts? They're just becoming sexually aware. When I read this, I wanted to throw this script away. I was like, this is the... like, Oh, it just... It's progressively getting worse and worse and worse and worse and more awful. Like, these comments. And he just thinks that these things are okay. Like, oh. Yeah. And if she wasn't already sold on leaving, I'm pretty sure that sealed the deal. Oh, sure. She sat him down and she basically told him that she had a list of terms if she was going to stay. 
And it was one of those situations where she's kind of assuming he's not going to agree. And then that's going to be like, okay, well, that's the end. Mm -hmm. And she told him that he had to go back into recovery from sex addiction. They had to go back to therapy together. He had to go to therapy. He had to be open and honest about everything. And he got super angry and just turned this all around on her. Like she's the one with the problem. And she finally had enough. And she said, you know, I'm leaving. This is it. But she wasn't just packing her bags and getting out of the house right then. She she didn't think that Paul was going to hurt her. Right. I don't think that she thought that he was dangerous. She knew by this point that he was abusive. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't feeling like she had to leave right the second. So she moves everything into the guest room and she is making plans to get out of the house. But there's, you know, kind of a, a couple of weeks gap here. Mm-hmm. And... She goes into the bathroom to get her toiletries, and she finds a ton of pictures of her laid out on the bathroom counter that she had never seen before. What? Like, that... mm, Which is so mm, scary, and she ripped them up. That is terrifying. Super terrifying. And, you know, when Paul realized that she's actually moving things out, like, this isn't just a threat, he tries to encourage her to move her stuff back upstairs, but she told him, no, I'm really, really done. And she actually called her dad to tell him that she was leaving, and he said, you know, leave right now if you think you're in any danger. And she said, no, it's not that kind of abuse, is the words that she used. So she has come to terms with the fact that this is not a healthy relationship. And she's ready to be done. She found an apartment, but it wasn't going to be ready right away. And so she arranges to stay with a friend in the interim. And Paul is continually trying to convince her to stay, to move her stuff back upstairs, to at least stay in the house for the summer. He's like, I'll leave and leave the house for you. And she just doesn't really want to be here or near him or connected to him at all. Right. And on the day that she moved out her things, she found some notes by Paul in his bedside table written about his sexual exploits. And she also found (laughs) some stuff from the police, videos, and one videotape of his father having sex with a young man. Oh, my word. Which I think that she thinks this is all evidence from the murder trial. But very disturbing. That it was there in the home. And just as she was driving off, Paul got home and he tried to stop her. But when he realized that she was leaving and she wasn't going to change her mind, he told her, quote, you'll never forget me. I'll always be with you. And Kate drove off hoping that that was the last time that she had to interact with Paul. You know, they had been together for three years. And at this point, she's like, If I don't see you again, it's too soon, Mm -hmm. you know? After their breakup, Kate noticed that every time she went to all of her favorite places, the waiters and the workers would tell her that Paul had just been in recently. So she stopped going to the places that she had once loved because she didn't want to run into him. So easy enough to overlook that, right? Okay. Sure, sure. Like, these are restaurants. places, these places together, and even though it's obnoxious that he is doing this, it's not necessarily a sign of anything malicious. Sure. He called her frequently, sometimes like 10 or 12 times in a row, and he would drive by her friend's house very often. He would come to the door and ask her to let him in to talk. And he said he wanted to be a better man, that he loved her and wanted to do whatever it took to fix things. And she would refuse to let him in. And a few times she met up with him in a public place, but she held firm. She did not want to rekindle this relationship and he wasn't doing anything that was changing her mind. Kate went to stay with her parents for a visit and Paul bombarded them with calls. Her mom told him that she didn't want to talk to him and to please stop calling. And Kate told the therapist that they had gone to together what was happening. And the therapist said that she had been fooled. She warned her that Paul would try to get her back. And she told her, like, do not go back with Paul. So Kate's apartment gets ready. She moves into it. And one night he calls her and... and 
Also, just want to point out again, whenever he's doing these frequent calls, this is not on a cell phone. This is like a home phone with no right. caller ID. So, yeah, you don't know who's calling. Yeah, if yeah. she doesn't know that it's him until she picks up. Yeah. So, one night he calls her and tells her that he's looking at a framed picture of her on his bedside table and that he saw her earlier in the day and kind of described where she had been. And he said that he knew exactly where she lived and that he could see her anytime he wanted. <sighs> and soon after that, Kate arrived home to find a box of trash sitting outside of her apartment door. Things that she had thrown away back when she was living with Paul. Just like random things. So he like held on to her trash? Yes. Ew, no. Ugh. And then after a few weeks, she realized she wasn't receiving any mail, you know, just like junk mail and stuff that goes anywhere. And so she called the post office and they told her that she had canceled the mail forwarding. And she was like, no, I didn't. And they actually had her signature on file. So she went and got that fixed. And then she asked Paul on the phone if he was responsible. And he told her that he had her mail. She just needed to come get it. And she refused and told him that she wanted it all dropped off. She wanted it all back. And the next day, she came home and all of her mail was inside the house on her dining room table. Oh, my God. So a friend of hers was a mutual friend of Paul's, and she actually worked for Paul, and she had a copy of the key. And so that friend was just like, oh, I'm helping out. You know, it wasn't like... Uh, Yes, yes. But... Kate was like, he could take, he would take the key and make a copy. She just didn't oh feel comfortable. So she got her key back after that. Yeah. Paul kept calling and Kate told him in no uncertain terms to leave her alone and to stop calling her. And she said that if she saw him again, she would spit in his face. And before long, a friend of Paul's called and he told her that Paul said he saw her yesterday. And this started happening often. Friends of Paul would either call or when she was out, she would run into them. And all of these friends would tell her that he was angry at her. And Paul frequently called Kate's siblings right before she would visit them. And at her apartment, she would frequently get calls with nobody talking on the other line. And, you know, it's almost hard to put ourselves back in that mind space of of having to field who you're answering the phone calls from. Yes. Because it's like, that's her way to connect with the outside world. And if she just doesn't, if she stops answering the phone altogether because it's him or because it's these no voices or friends or whatever, she can't get calls, you know, from anyone. She's missing connection with her family, work, all of that. She was upset, but she didn't go to the police. She had no real proof of any harassment. And at this point, she wasn't thinking that what was happening to her was even stalking. She thought that he was just angry about their breakup and, you know, everything that he would just get over it. And Jen and Kate actually grew apart after the breakup. And it was obviously awkward for both of them. Jen yeah. is the friend, right? The friend that who's... Had, it, that's Paul's The aunt. party had been... So, yeah. you know, yeah. it's Paul's family member. And, yes. Yeah. So it just makes the situation awkward. For sure. But Jen did call Kate and told her that Paul was so upset that she had only seen him cry twice. Once when Roger died... And when he told her about the breakup, Kate didn't even know what to say. She also told Kate that he had sold his house and moved. And when she asked where, Kate realized that he had moved not far from her apartment. One day, Kate went to stay with her brother for a visit. And she went hiking by herself. And after a while, she noticed a hiker behind her. And at one point, she sat down and saw that the hiker was just staring at her. No, nope. he came up to her and said, I've been watching you. You're alone, right? Can I sit with you? Ugh. Horrifying. Ugh. Kate threatened to yell for a park ranger and he ran away. Now, one year after Kate left Paul, her dad died. Paul's harassment continued and it was often in those sort of just unusual, almost unbelievable ways. Like, her phone would die frequently, and the phone company could not figure out why. 
And so she called the phone company and scheduled a service. And they were running late, but she saw the service truck outside and the guy was just sitting inside. And so she went up and asked why he hadn't come in and he just smiled at her. What? Yeah. So she went back inside and called customer service. And the lady said that she wasn't even in the system, that there was no record of her ever having an account with them. What? And the supervisor said that it must have been a computer error. Hmm. And, you know, things like that, isolated, weird things are are strange. But when they start to come collective, right, she's right. like, no, this is, he's messing with me. And one day she came home to find the front door unlocked and open. And just a few random things in the house were moved around. Not like ransacked, but just like, yeah. Just enough so she would definitely know that somebody had been in the house moving stuff around. And the power would go out often. And before long, you know, she ended up moving into another place. Okay, so Kate ends up at some point moving into another place. And she discovered that Paul had bought a house on the corner right near her house. Oh, my gosh. Kate told her therapist what was going on, who urged her to call the police. But Kate talked herself out of doing that. It just sounded so unbelievable. Like it was, you know, she could talk herself out of it. Like it was just this series of weird coincidences that could be dismissed. Like that's what she's thinking. You know, she didn't think the police would take it seriously. Yes. Jen's daughter reached out to tell Kate that Jen was dying of cancer and she didn't have long to live. Within a week, Jen was dead. Kate stayed home from the funeral knowing that Paul would be there. And after a while, Kate's friend Ellen called with a publishing job. Ellen was leaving to travel to Lisbon. She had always wanted to go but had never been able to afford it. Kate met with Jane, the point person for the job, and Jane said that she was going to be a really great fit for this job. The board would meet at Kate's apartment. Before long, Jane started disagreeing with a lot of Kate's decisions, and the board ultimately sided with Jane, telling her that it seemed personal. In the meantime, Kate was also teaching at a college. The dean called her in one day and told her that a man was calling to ask about her schedule, wanting to sign up for her classes or audit them, even if it meant paying for an entire semester. But they didn't give him any information, and good for them. (sighs) That same day, a man at the campus coffee shop approached her and said hello, and he grabbed her shoulder and wouldn't let go. And she said, I don't think I know you. And he answered, no, but I know someone who knows you. Oh, no. Yes. No. And then just like the other incidents, he just runs off, yep. you know? Yep. And obviously Kate is distraught. She's terrified. And she told the college that she really needed to avoid having a predictable schedule so she can't teach her regular classes anymore. And she also told the board at the publishing job that she was going to have to scale back and she told them what was going on. And right after that, Jane called her and she told her that her best friend was Paul's new wife, which now makes sense why all of this weirdness Mm. is going on with Jane. Sure. And... You know, she said that this friend, she's starting to worry about her. She's starting to change and she doesn't seem happy and there's weird stuff going on with Paul. And Kate's kind of like, not my circus, not my monkeys at this point, right? And Jane admitted that Paul would call her after their board meetings, which were held right at Kate's apartment. And he would ask Mm -hmm. details about the apartment and the layout. And she would just give him this information. Mm. So that's scary. And another break-in happened and Kate finally called the police. And she was referred to sex crimes. And to her surprise, they took her very seriously. And I will say that I have a friend who had to deal with like the SVU in Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. New York and very much like it is portrayed in uh, Law and Order. Like these very specialized sex crimes units tend to be a lot better about taking things like this seriously. Yeah. And so they pretty much, you know, they took everything at, at face value, did some investigation and kind of backed it all up. They 
actually asked Kate if she thought that he might be behind the, quote, kidnapping attempt with her sister. Remember the milk Ah, in the convenience store? Yes. Yes. She was, you know, not sure. She'd never really thought about it. But they were like, eh, it's really an unlikely coincidence that he would have known the person responsible. It just really doesn't make any sense. Right. And they even insinuated that Paul might have had a hand in his father's murder. And Kate wasn't really sure what to think about that. The police were really concerned that the stalking had been going on for two years and it was still really intense and frequent. You know, that's a long ongoing harassment. And they pointed out that since his method was to hire other people to do this, it was going to be very hard to track him down or prove anything. And, you know, they told her basically, you know, for you moving forward, like we're going to question him, we're going to do this, but we're going to give you some tips in the meantime, some how to deal with this. And they said, you know, you can pick like a stable spot with lots of security or you can move around a lot. And, you know, they told her, you want to tell your friends and family what's going on, as many people as possible, but don't tell them where you're going to be. Don't tell them your schedule. Don't tell them your location. They urged her to change her routes and vary her routine. And they even told her to keep a second calendar at home with an updated schedule so that if anything happened to her, they would know where to look, which is scary. Wow. And they told her to sell her car in case there was a tracker on it. And they said, you know, we're going to bring Paul in for questioning, but get out of town, basically. So, like, basically they're saying, like, uproot your entire life and change everything that you do. Exactly. That is not an easy ask. Exactly. So she wanted to get as far away as possible and she actually contacted Ellen, the friend who had set her up with the publishing job who was in Lisbon. And Ellen told her that she should come visit her in Lisbon and then rent her house back home. Something seemed odd about the whole thing, especially because Ellen was talking about how she was traveling so much. And Kate asked her, you know, like, how are you affording all of this travel? And Ellen told her that somebody was helping her out. And Kate contacted the police to tell them what was going on. She called Ellen back and told her, "Mm, the police think that this is suspicious, but of course, I don't think that. And Ellen got off the phone and Kate never heard from her again. That's super suspicious. Oh, yeah. And and when she's on the phone, she's like, oh, of course. I don't think that. Like, she's like trying to get information out of her. But obviously at this point, Kate knows. So the police questioned Paul and he told them Kate is the one stalking him. And the police warned him that if anything happens to her, he was their only suspect. So Kate decided to stay in London for a while, and the police wrote a letter to the airline saying that Kate needed to use a varied name for her passport. While buying her ticket, Kate turned and saw a woman who she knew was friends with Paul sitting nearby. And when she returned from London, she bought a new car and moved into her friend's house for a while. And one day, she finds her car unlocked and her battery dead. And she saw a car following her after that. So she knew that she needed to start moving around again. And Kate moved around a lot. She never told her family where she was going to be. She even had to come up with a code with her mom when they would talk. She couldn't hold a stable job, so she turned to just freelancing. But it was also scary to have new clients. Yeah. So there's just a lot of stuff going on. Once while she was staying at a cousin's house, she heard the sound of someone trying to get into the door. And eventually they left. Another time, she found a note that said, just bitch, on her car. One day, she got a message on her answering machine calling her a bitch and saying either I'm going to get you or I'm going to kill you. But she's moving around every time she has to contact these different precincts with the police department, and the police didn't take that seriously at all. And she said, you know, I I have these detectives in the sex crimes, they need to know this information. And they were like, oh, no, no, they don't need to. (sighs) So after that, she really, she's still contacting the sex crimes police, but she doesn't call them and give them every little incident. And she's kind of hesitant to even bring up more with police at this point. 
She moved 16 times in less than a year and a half. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, one day she's talking with the sex crimes detectives and and they actually encouraged her to stop moving around so much that it was almost like a game to him. And he's kind of like getting off on the fact that he has to kind of track her down. And they were like, you know, why don't you try picking a safer spot and using a fake name? So... She started considering, you know, what would it be like if I do pick like a home base, but she's kind of scared to, obviously. Yeah. And she actually attended a seminar about stalking and made an appointment to speak with a top forensic psychologist in the field. And when she met with her, she was kind of not sure what to expect in terms of how seriously this person was going to take it or what this person was going to say. But they actually gave her a lot of information about stalking, statistics. And, you know, she took it very seriously, the psychologist did. And she said, you know, there are going to be times where the stalking is going to stop and then pick up again. And anything can be a trigger for him. He could hear your name. He could come across an old picture. And he's going to be reinvested in this harassment. And... The psychologist told her, you always need to be vigilant forever, but you also need to find a way to live a fulfilling life. And it's hard to do those things, but you have to try to find a way. Kate's mom got sick and Kate stayed with her for a while to care for her. She ended up mostly there for about a year and a half. And while she was staying there, she got a call that there was a break-in at her apartment. And she decided to take the advice of the police and settle in her mother's town, a place where everybody knows everybody and everybody knows her. She built a house in hopes that her mom would be able to live with her, but unfortunately her mother died shortly after she bought the property. She had a high-end security system installed and informed the local police of what was going on. One night on New Year's, her alarm went off at 1.33 in the morning. And the police were dispatched, but nothing was found. Over the years, other incidents popped up for Kate. In 2007, the power cables in her neighborhood were cut during construction. And the technician told her that somehow her line was cut additionally and then reattached to another one. It must have been rats, he told her. She changed her her cell phone service after that just to be safe. And a few days later, she received a call verifying that she had a new phone and that her new phone was supposed to be sent somewhere out of state and that someone had had a new shipping address. So basically somebody had like hacked into her account, somehow added a new shipping address, contacted them and given information. And then they were just calling to verify because it didn't really make sense that it was out of state. Sure, sure. Now, as of 2008, when Kate wrote her memoir... The stalking still continued off and on. Again, she's anonymous, but as far as I can tell, it still does. 2008 was 13 years after the breakup. You know, wherever Kate is right now and whoever Kate is, I hope that she's safe. I hope she's found a way to live with some peace. And I hope that someday Paul makes a mistake that lands him in prison. (sighs) Let's get into our thoughts on this. Yes. The first is just the absolute impact that this had on Kate's life. Oh, my gosh. Her life completely changed. She had to go from being this very social person, going out and making speeches and staying with friends and living a life, you know, traveling and doing all of the things to just really almost surviving, surviving and just being the shell of a person in the book. I know I keep saying it. I'm not like sponsored by her, but this book is great. (laughs) But she really details, you know, what it's like to have to go in every place she goes in. She scans the room to see if anybody's acting unusual or anybody's looking at her. Yeah. You know, she will pick a place by the wall, back wall of places to sit. And it's just something that she has to think about all the time. Yeah, every every decision that she makes is weighed by this, right? Like yeah. and every strange thing in her life she has to say like is this connected or is this just a weird right. thing that happens, you right. know? It's Ugh. so much. So that's just devastating. And then I do want to sort of dive into emotional abuse a little bit because it is just mm-hmm. so complex i think it's it's so hard to identify yes Yes. i think and it's so underrepresented when we talk about 
the umbrella of abuse, right? Like, because it's so abstract and it looks different from person to person and it can be different levels of severity. I think that it's hard to define it in like a really nice box that you can, you know, easily check like, yes, this is what's happening. But like, it happens so much. And it's so easy to downplay. I mean, if somebody hits you and you tell somebody, right, they're going to tell you to get it out. But if somebody yells at you or somebody, right, or tells you, tells you like, you know, I've never loved anyone so much, but I think that you're so hideous. Right. Like, you know, Starts, like, like messing with your mind. mind like games? you don't even mm. know to bring that up to somebody. It's just yeah. so much harder to see. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like anytime that we see someone in a movie or in a book that is this type of person, they're always like violent along with it, right? right? Like it's always so obvious that this is the bad guy. And it certainly right? can go with sure, more but it's not always, which makes it abuse, harder yeah. to find. Like it's the way that Paul was so, you know, charming and generous. Like it's not, the guy that looks like a bad guy, right? It's not like the intimidating looking loud man that, I mean, he obviously could, but like, that's not what it always is. Exactly. And like, that's what trips people up, I think. And you can even see the victim blaming. If you look at reviews of this book, you'll see people say things like, why didn't she just leave? Why didn't she just leave? Of course. And it's just so much more complicated than that. Yes. And it always guess what? Look what happened after she left. Right. It doesn't change anything. Not at all. Not in this case. And stalking is horrifyingly scary. I've been down the stalking rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. And did want to share some stalking statistics because I wasn't really yes. sure how common this was. No. Or was like, is this like the rarest, weirdest thing that this has happened? Right. You know, I think about like cases like Cindy James that come to mind, which um, okay. is nobody really knows because remember, she's the one who was or said that she was stalked for so many years, but the police would never be able to find anything. And then she ended up being found dead while like, bound. But I think yeah. they don't know if she did that to herself. And Right, right. Yes. So, you know, yeah. that's yeah. a little bit, that's the one that really came to mind, but we don't really know what happened yeah. there. So I was like, does this happen to other people? I so looked up a lot of statistics. 13.5 million people in the U.S. are stalked per year. That is so high. So crazy. And it's, this number is escalating or reporting is escalating because even in the book, Kate talks about some statistics and I believe she says a million. And just from a few years ago, I found much smaller numbers than this. But the 2022, a bunch of surveys came out about this and the numbers have like really increased. That's terrifying. So I don't know if the actual stalking is increasing this much or if it's just being reported more or if COVID has somehow. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, yeah. weird, though, because uh, my next statistic, too, nearly one in three women and nearly one in six men have been stalked at some point. That number is much higher than the numbers I found from 2017. Yeah. Those were like 2022 survey numbers. So wow. that's huge, huge increase. I think I found like yeah. one in 19 for men before and one in five Wow, from 2017. That- is so much. Yeah. Wow. So stalking usually happens by someone the victim knows. And almost half of stalking victims experience at least one unwanted contact per week. So very frequent. God. Yes. That's so much. Uh, uh, and two in three stalkers pursue their victims at least once per week. So it's like an inc- a, a high number on the victims and a high number on the stalkers too. That's that frequent unwanted contact. Now the average time of stalking is two years, which I was kind of blown away by how high that <sighs> average is because that 
two years. Two years, yeah. But 11% of stalking victims have been stalked for five years or more. So we're talking 11%. I mean, what's happening here with Kate is definitely not unheard of. Right, right. Which, yeah. Technology is highly linked to stalking. It's made it a lot easier. It's utilized in more than half of incidents. I was going to say something about that because like this case with Kate took place in the early 90s, you know? And I like when it started. Right. But think about how different things are now and just knowing where people are at at any given time because of social media and because you can like track someone's stuff and you you can do all these things and you 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 find out where people are even you're putting out information like not thinking that anyone is going to use it for you know these dark purposes but like that's so scary (laughs) yes it really really is and fewer than one-third of states classify stalking as a felony. Fewer than a third? Yeah. So <sighs> in all circumstances. And then like more will do it as like the second offense is a felony. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, it is not taken seriously. Yeah. Well, and I feel like, I feel like it's so like, have you ever, you know, met someone who's like, Oh, yeah, I have a stalker. But what they mean is this guy or this girl that I wasn't really interested in still wants to pursue me and, like, they're my stalker, you know? But, like... Yeah, true. But then it's, like, I think now seeing how common it is... Yes. I look at it differently, you know? Yes. Yeah. But the fact that it's not taken so seriously is, like... That's a that's going to perpetuate the problem. Exactly. Right? And, you know, only 40% of stalking cases are reported to the police. So a lot of it is like that where it's yeah. maybe they're just like texting or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. You're not necessarily going to report that to the police. But this one really got me. 89% of female murder victims who had been physically assaulted before their murder were also stalked in the last year prior to their murder. Wow. So it is such a big deal. 89%. Yeah. So it is not harmless. It is not... No. Not just annoying. It's not victimless. Yeah. It's not... Yeah. It's it's a horrible, serious crime that's just not being taken seriously. And after reading these statistics, I think that this is so much more common. This sort of long-term stalking that Kate is going through. And 11% of stalking victims, more than five years of it. Yeah. It's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Well, that is our case. And what a doozy. It's, yeah. It's a hard one to even wrap my mind around. Yes. Seriously, yes. read the book because it is so good. And now it's time for self-care and prepare. My self-care tip is around this time of year, there's always this debate whether you should wait to decorate for Christmas or wait to listen to Christmas music and people get so up in arms and so judgy about it. But you know what? My self-care tip is to decorate for Christmas whenever you freaking want to. Yep. Do it whenever you want. I've got all my decorations up. It is November 12th. I've had it up for over a week. So I'm like thinking of doing it this weekend. So I'm like, I I, I might be doing it. <laughs> and it is so comforting to me to have Christmas decorations. I love to see the yes. lights. I love to see everything up. It makes me feel warm and happy. And yes. I know not everybody feels that way about Christmas, sure. but if you do, then put up your decorations. Yes. Do not listen to the people who tell you that you cannot do this just because it's only November and it's before Thanksgiving. Like, Thanksgiving is one day. Yes. And like Christmas is an entire season. And might I point out, Thanksgiving is one questionable day. There, I mean, you know what? You are right. I don't you know. Are. I celebrate Thanksgiving. I love to eat. But oh yeah. It, there's some issues, okay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And my prepare tip is that, you know, take emotional abuse seriously, get out, get help if you can. I know it's so easy to say, just leave. There are resources. We will put some hotlines and things like that in the show notes. If you know anybody, take it seriously. That's for people that are going through emotional abuse, but also people who see others, you know, be that support system, reach out, ask if your friends need help. This is so common and it is so hard to break away from. Yeah. And before we end out, just want to give a shout out to our newest Patreon member, Katie Cano. I hope I'm saying that last name right. Thank you so much. Um, You know, always our Patreon just goes back into the production of the podcast. We super, super appreciate everybody that is a member. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you, guys. All right. Let us know your thoughts on this wild case on all the socials at Body Parts Pod. And that's it for today. Make sure to self-care for the best, prepare for the worst, but most importantly, take care of yourself. Bye. Bye.